Hey guys, welcome to episode seven of the Designers Getting Coffee podcast. Today we're talking about how do you charge for your design services? This is such a complex topic because there is no one right way to charge, to bill, to track your time, to present your value to clients. So today, Kate and I just have some ideas for you. We're sharing about how we do it. We do a lot of things similarly, but there's a few ways we do it differently. The big takeaways from today's episode are really just owning your value and tracking your time well so you know what projects are really going to cost to do. So we're really excited to jump in with you today. And today's episode is brought to you by the Interior Design Business Kickoff Kit. If you're thinking about starting a business or have just launched, let me help you kickstart things to make major progress in a short time. The Interior Design Business Kickoff Kit is six months of intensive one-on-one coaching with me, plus all the business documents you'll need to crush it behind the scenes and launch your design business like a boss. You can book a complimentary call with me to learn more at lesliemeyer.com slash coaching. And now this is episode seven, how do you charge for your design services? Morning, Kate. Hi, Leslie. I've got my coffee this morning. How about you? Oh, I don't have enough coffee. <laughs> well, last night you and I, uh, we were not designers getting coffee. We were designers getting wine and whiskey talking about our businesses. <laughs> So I'm feeling okay after that, but I definitely yeah. do have a large cup of coffee in my hand today. Well, my idiot self did not go to bed after you left and I stayed up and fiddled around on the laptop and I should have just taken my little happy, you know what, to bed. I'm really <laughs> practicing on my potty mouth. Can y'all tell? You did good. <laughs> so after anyway, our uh, wine we had a good chat. last night, yeah, we had an awesome chat and that's really what sparked this specific episode coming at you today. Today we're talking about how do you charge for your design services? That, so we're talking about so much more. Well, that, I know. Yeah. It's not just you charge X dollars, but I feel like you're right. It's bigger than just how do you charge? Like, oh, I'm hourly, I'm flat fee. But it's the mindset behind charging, behind standing by your value, how you present your rates to clients. Do you do flat fee? Do you do hourly? How do you manage objections when clients don't want to pay as much as your services are? So I'm really excited to dive in with you, Kate, and I'd love to start with just hearing about how, how do you charge? How does Kate Bendewald Interior Design uh, make the money? Well, I think you and I do something similar. Um, something's different. I, don't, I know we're always sort of playing around a little bit with tweaking the, the process, but for me, the way I do, um, Full service is hourly. And I usually start with a two hour in home consultation that is a flat fee. Um, and then after that, if they decide they want to work with me moving forward, I do, I take a retainer for the first 20 hours and I have a 20 hour minimum to work um, with somebody. So, for example, I had a lady call me this morning um, and like she just didn't have enough work to do. And so I proposed designer for a day and I honestly, could tell by her reaction that she wasn't ready or willing to invest the kind of money to work with me. And to your point of mindset, um, there was a time where I, I would do anything to get that job, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, it felt good to, you know, just be like, well, you have a chat with your 
significant other. And if you feel like you're ready for this investment, um, I'd love to talk to you again. I know she's not going to call me back <laughs> and that's yeah. fine. That is fine. Um, I believe that closing one door doesn't mean that you're closing the door. It's leaving the door open for the right person to come through. So that's mindset thing, but I do charge hourly. Um, it's 20 hours minimum. And basically when after, after the consultation, I've met the client, I've seen the home, I have a good understanding of what the project will entail. And that allows me to give them a proposal for the number of hours that I think their project would take. So it could be 50 hours, it could be 150, it could be 300. I don't know until I do that consultation. Um, so, but the minimum to start is 20 hours. So they pay me for the first 20 hours and we get started. We do track our time. Um, and then once we pass that 20 hours, then those are all new billable hours. Um, and the client gets billed at the, usually by the fifth of the month um, for the previous month. Um, before you jump too far ahead, I want to yeah. talk more about the 20 hour minimum because I think yeah. that is such a good business practice to have in place. And that's something that I have gone back and forth with what a minimum should be. And I've had new clients that didn't have the highest budget, but still wanted work. And every time I've lowered that minimum, like I just I have a bedroom project I'm working on right now where I told them we could start with 10 hours. And of course we're already over 20. And of course that came with budget questions and this is, this is more than we thought it would be. So I think 20 is a really great, reasonable, fair number to start with. I love that you stick to that. Do you offer them an option to refund anything if you don't use it? Or do you just stick to, you have a 20 hour project minimum full stop? Full stop. And I typically won't take a project if it's less than 20 hours. If that's what they need, then I sell them on designer for a day, which is a that's different service. Awesome. So I, well, I'll real quickly just Briefly mentioned, I do offer two other services. Um, Designer for a Day is one of them. It's a six-hour in-home consultation. They can stack those. They can do two Designer for a Day, but it's it's an in-home consultation up to six hours. And we do all the work at home. And when I'm done, I'm done. And I walk away. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to get more of those. I, it's, it, and they're really fun, you know, and I take them out for lunch. And during lunch, we talk about the design and what, what we're doing. It's a working lunch. Um, and then I also do e-design services. Those are also a flat fee based on the room type and how many hours I expect it to be. And so I've done enough of these. I know how to estimate my time. Um, so that that is a flat fee. Let me be clear. I'm going to go back to full service for a minute because this is a new thing that I've done and it is working beautifully for me. So the you're, you should be familiar with the different phases of design. People sometimes give them different names. I, we have concept design for us, design development, and project management. We just keep it simple with three. <laughs> um, in design school, they give you the full like seven <laughs> um, phases, but I just condense it for clients to understand it better and make it simple. But I only estimate time for design. Here's why. When I estimate, it's impossible to estimate how much it's going to cost to manage a project because there are so many variables and there's so much that is out of your control. So but, you only estimate time for design when you talk to a client. You do not yeah. tell them anything about ordering, implementation, construction for timelines. Not, 
not yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, and the reason for that is I know that is a controlled process. I can tell from a project how much time it's going to take me and my assistant to put together the presentation. And there's a, there's just a lot, there, there's little that can go wrong, you know? And, and if I go over, so this is also new. So like if I tell a client it's going to take us 65 hours to do the design work, I try really, really hard to stay in that 65 hours. In the past, if I went over and it wasn't because a client had added new stuff or changed things, you know, calling me and say, hey, can we add on the bathroom? Can we add on this or that? Because that's happened too. If they don't do that and I go over on hours, I don't. I, that's, that's on me <laughs> really. Um, I need to be strict on myself about watching that time. Of course that changes if they add stuff to it. So, um, but I don't tell a client necessarily that because then they can try to take advantage of it. I, most people are good people. They're not going to me- meaningfully or <laughs> what am I trying to say? They're not maliciously maliciously take advantage of you or me in this case. Um, So, you know, we just try to keep it in the time that we framed for them from the outset. I love that you do that because I feel like even if you give clients a quote estimate, they're going to hold you to that number. And, you know, psychologically, that's just something we all do. If someone tells you it's going to be around 65 hours, if you get a bill for 90 hours, you're going to lose your poop. Like it's not going to go well. It's not a good way to start a project. And honestly, so you know this, I've had this conversation with you. I've done that. But in this case, so we went over on hours a little bit, not a lot, but also the client added an entire bathroom renovation on top of it. So there was that to account for. And then there was some purchasing in there. Well, purchasing is not a part of my design quote. And so I had to walk him through why the invoice was what it was. So now what I'm trying to do is after the design presentation, I will, I want, I, I in the past have done an estimate again for purchasing and project management. Um, I've thought about playing around with that and, you know, doing a flat fee for purchasing. If it's a project where I'm going to make a margin on, if it's a kitchen renovation, I'm not going to make any money on that. If it's a full furnishings project, I will make some money on the, on the project there. So this is what we talked about last night, right? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think I would love to be able to estimate for clients how many hours purchasing will be, how many hours installation supervision will be, but I've been bitten before by doing a percentage or a flat rate for installs. And you know, what's kind of funny is like the bigger the project, I think the easier that could be. But when you just have like a small one room project, the percentages are wacky. It takes just as much work to supervise a one room installation as it does to do half a house. Right. So I think the hard way I have learned to just do hourly for those. And it sounds like you're kind of in the same boat where it's, it's unpredictable design. We get a sense how many hours things will take after doing enough projects, but ordering an install, there's just, there's so many variables, so many things that can go South that I think it's a lot safer. And it sounds like you're in the same boat of that just is hourly. Yeah. Now, how are you charging these days for, is it pretty similar or 
what's what's your what's your business model looking like these days? It is <laughs> Guys, it's refi- it's re- we refine our process. It's not reinventing. I wish there was like a hard and fast, here is how you charge guidebook for all of us, because (laughs) I feel like there's a million different interior design businesses and a million different ways to charge. And I have gone back and forth with hourly and only hourly and only flat fee and then not charging for purchasing and put having more margin in the products and then charging for purchasing and there's never, like I keep hoping I'm going to settle into this sweet spot and I have yet to find it. So I am continually course correcting with charging, but I feel like after almost four years, I have refined things enough now that I feel pretty confident in where things are at. So similar to you, Kate, my projects start with a 90 minute up to two hour session that I call a design jumpstart. So that's your in, an in-home consultation. So that that's is the best names for your services, by the way. I did come up with some funky <laughs> name situations. So design jumpstart, because that's what it is. It jumpstarts a project. And so from there, I have, I guess, four options. I have a designer for a day, just like you do, a day rate, six hours plus lunch, and we get her done, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, make a big progress in a short time and move on. I do have the, you know, e-design room in a box. I call them design kits. And those are flat rate per room virtual design. So I'm not in a client space. They're sending me photos and measurements and answering our questionnaire. And we give them this really beautiful physical design kit in about four to six weeks. So I don't do a lot of those two. I find, and I'm trying to market more to the design kit room in a box type clients because they're great and profitable and you don't need to be local. But I find with websites and companies that are doing business now that you know you get a whole room for three hundred dollars for those junk well it is (laughs) and the designers that work for those companies are not getting paid very well i know having been one of those people freelancing for one of those companies yeah um this is not to say that that just for anybody listening this is not at all to say that if you are a designer working for one of those companies that your work is bad. It is no, no, that is not what we're saying. To me, it's simply the process, the automated process from the ones that I have experienced knowing about like clients aren't able to communicate with their designer on an as needed basis. And it just lacks personalization. So it's not saying anything. There's no way you can get the service. So that is how I differentiate my e-design service, which is a premium e-design service. And it is, and it that's true. Will compete on cost, but with those, but it also it can compete on service. We can talk about. There's actually a. I did a Nancy Ganza Coffer um, weekend wind down where I talked all about my e-design process. Um, yeah, we'll link that in the show notes. It can, it can be profitable. Sure. Okay, so you're, but you, you would like to do more of those, or you? I would, especially now that I am moving, as we just found oh. out officially, and oh. I'm leaving Texas this summer and moving to Georgia. Starting over in a new city in a new state means it's going to take a little while to get on the ground local projects going. And so I am really working on ideas right now to get more virtual business so that the transition financially and for the business is smoother. So I love the design kits. They're super fun. I've gotten fast at them. They're very profitable. The clients love them. 
So I'm working towards marketing more of those. And then the other two options I have are full service design. I call it design comprehensive. And so that's, that's full, you know, turnkey. We do the design, we do the ordering, we do the implementation, do all the work, do all the accessorizing. You know, it's that HGTV moment where you walk in the front door and your room is amazing and you cry and it's wonderful. Yes. And out of that was so worth it. just design consulting, which I call designer on call. So we only do design, no purchasing, no implementation. Boom. We've had a lot of clients that, you know, well, I can find something similar on Wayfair for a hundred bucks. Okay, great. I'll do the design and you can go buy the things because if there's not margin in the products, it really isn't worth, I mean, we can't afford to do it. We can't afford do to be ordered. you charge the same for your full service as you do, because you have your hourly rate, do you charge the same for both full service and your design only service? I have done it all. When I, first, <laughs> when I first started the designer on call, the consulting only, I did have a higher hourly rate because I knew I wasn't going to be making more money throughout the project on purchasing, on implementation. Mm-hmm. But I just, I found it didn't sit right with me. You know, I have to say I did the same thing and I had, I ran into issues. I, I had a client who came to me who was very clear upfront that she might want to do her own purchasing. So then I tried to explain to her, no problem. I've got two levels of service. Uh, one is design only. It's at a little bit premium rate. I do offer a reduced rate when you do full service and I do all of the purchasing as a, as a benefit to you. And to me, that sounded fine and normal, yeah. but it, it, it brought up all these questions for her. Then she couldn't make up her mind and she wanted to see the design first before she decided if she was going to do the purchasing. And that wasn't the only thing that this client did that was just like red flags from the beginning. And, and I only call it a red flag because of some other things that she said that were, it became clear that she might not be a good fit as a client for me. So I ended up not working with her by choice. Um, it was, it was a friendly exchange. Um, but it just, for me, I was like, I don't know how to answer this. No, I'm not going to do the design and then have you decide later. Like it is what it is. You need to make up your damn mind lady. <laughs> so anyway, I, well, and then what if you charge them the premium rate and then later they're like, Oh wait, we actually do want you to purchase for us. And Oh, can we get our money back for the difference of that's hours? what she was asking. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Nice. I see. I see the trouble that causes. And I had, <laughs> I had similar things and, you know, I had clients that were friends and one was the full service where we, you know, charged X rate and one was the design consulting only. So it was a little bit more, you know, people get to talk. It just, it's, it didn't work. I wanted it to work because intellectually I think it's a fair system, but when push came to shove, it just didn't make sense. And it just made it real complicated for tracking and billing and Oh yeah. It was yeah, a, yeah, it yeah. was a headache that was not worth the extra what 20 bucks an hour, 25 bucks an hour for the consulting. So I, what I have found to be the most successful for me over the years is just to keep it keep things simple and I never I almost never outline all of the services to a client. I do the consultation and I know from that point what they're going to need. Um and it's, I usually, it's full service. Mm-hmm. Um, and my initial phone call, I can usually detect if this person is a good fit for e-design 
because they live in another city or state, or if the scope of their work is more geared for designer for a day. So if they're local. So for me, outlining all of the services and your options to your client is overwhelming. And especially if you are um, pursuing higher end clients, they don't want to be bothered with all of those details. They just want you to tell them what it is they need and what your services are and be done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. It sounds like you have your consultation as a flat fee. It's just X for your two hour session. Right. Your designer for a day is a flat fee and your e-design is a flat fee. What yes. does it look like for full service projects? Like, do you always do hourly? Do you give them a quote and stick with it? Kind of flat fee? So <laughs> no, it's, so those e-design and designer for a day can be flat fee because I, there's a very specific list of deliverables, right? Um, I'm not going to get into that right now, but. But the scope and timeline are really well defined for both. Exactly. With full service there, this is a typically a project that is more involved. There is usually a trade day, which involves not only meeting with the different trades, contractor, window treatment people, wallpaper hangers, whatever the case may be, but also the time that it takes to organize that day, to set up your appointments all in one day so that you can meet with them in increments of half hour to an hour, whatever it may take. And so just the process of organizing all of that can be very time consuming. You don't always know how long it's gonna take. I do give them a range for design, but it is always hourly. And this also gives the client what the way I present it to the client is that, you know, the ability, I remind them like the scope can change. You are welcome to add things to the design process, to the design scope at any point. Cause I have clients all the time. They come in like, I really, I know you're halfway through the design, but we're really starting to think about our bedroom. Do you think we could add that to this project? And it doesn't involve a whole new contract or proposal. It's just like, yeah, we'll do it, you know? Um, it really so puts least, the ball in their court for time it, because it they creates, can, yeah, it makes the clients accountable because yes. they know they're paying for your time. They, um, they don't sit there and chit chat all day with you, <laughs> which I don't mind doing. My client kicked me out of the door yesterday. She's like, bye, we're done now. I'm like, okay, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, but I have another client who, you know, he will shoot the, you know what with me and, and he knows I'm out. <laughs> so I try, I try to not let it linger. I try to be the one that's like, okay, well, I think we're all done here. We're going to wrap up and head out. Um, just to show him that I am being mindful of our time and his money. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, I, I, I don't tell the clients that I'm going to cap it at that, but that is the model that I'm going toward because I don't like that icky taste of being like, yeah, we went over on hours. Here's your bill. Um, it just, I think it's a bad way to kick off a project. So you have to get really good at estimating. Ooh. So can we talk about tracking and managing your time? Because this is where I can yes. out and I know you can too. Okay. So Leslie, um, let's talk. What do you use to track your time and your projects? So we use Ivy. That is the software system. That bum, we bum, bum. Yeah. We've just, we've, <laughs> we've had speaks about Ivy in past episodes. I believe it was episode two. We talked about the tools and softwares. I'm going to check that now to make sure I'm not giving you wrong information. I think here. you're right. 
Nope, that's episode three. Design that's and business tools, what we use that are the same and different. So if you haven't heard that one, go back. It comes with a pretty sweet free checklist with all of our tools and resources for you. But for me, I use Ivy. Yep. It does more than just time tracking, but that's what me and my team use for that. But I know you use something different and you are, uh, to say the least, a little passionate about your <laughs> method. So tell me about Harvest and why you love it so much. Oh, maybe these are not sponsored, by the way. This is just should be. our real talk about what we actually do because we do some things a lot differently. So yeah, no, I, that time. yeah, I have used Harvest from the very start of my business. It was like the very first tool that I bought for myself. It's $12 a month, I think. And then it, if your team grows, you pay for more members, but I like it because it um, allows me to create a project and then I can identify um, a budget for time for the client. Now I came from the corporate architectural world where we build by the, to the sixth minute, just like lawyers do. Um, I am pretty, um, sharp on my time. Like I keep really good track of my time. Um, so for this, I like it so I can create a budget. So for my, one of my clients right now, we've got a 65 hour budget and I can set it up from the very beginning that we have 65 hours to work with. Um, or if you were doing, you know, you can estimate your dollar figure for the, you've got $9,000 worth of billable hours you can use, which is helpful if you've got staff that are maybe billing out at a lower rate. Um, and you can log in anytime and look and see how you're tracking on the project. It's a, it's a visual graphic that shows you how you're progressing. So you know if you are running low on hours, but you still have a lot of work to do, you can be like, hold the phone. What are we doing? Where are we with things? Don't, like, we need to tighten things up. We need to get more efficient. Um, so for that, I love it. The other thing that I love is, so there's a, there's a website version, but you can also download the desktop app. You can also do the phone app, which is good for tracking time when you're out on the run. Um, but on the desktop app, it basically, when you have the clock running for a client, I can see the clock running in the top small upper right-hand corner. So that really helps me to stay focused and stay on track when I'm working for a client and helps me keep from going down little rabbit holes. Um, the, just the visual reminder of it is great. Last thing is it can also track your expenses. So if you bought something, um, I, I mean, a meal, light bulbs. Or, light, yeah, light bulbs or whatever um, that you know you need to bill the client for, you can load it in there. And so my accountant knows each month to go in and run an expense report um, for any billable, if there's travel time. So, you know, mileage is all billable. They put in my mileage as well. So. That's where we pull a report for our hours and that's how the clients get built. And my accountant does that. You bill um, it through Harvest? Does it have billing capabilities or it, do you use It that? does and it can link with QuickBooks. Um, how do you do it? The way that we do it is, the only reason I don't love that is because when you link it, it literally creates an invoice where it itemizes like every single task that we did. You can also set up your tasks in harvest. So I know how many hours we spent doing a site survey, how many hours we spent doing drawings, how many hours we spent doing sourcing. So a lot of data. <laughs> um, so what we do is we run a report 
um, at the end of the month and we say how many hours for each client and then we run a PDF. And then in the invoice, we just say, Kate had a total of X hours, Claire had a total of X hours, they're at this billable rate, and then I attach the time report. So they can see exactly yeah. what it is that we worked on um, to account for that time. Nice, that seems like a pretty good system. I love it. I like the budget side of that, you know, that you put in either X dollars or X hours for the project and work backwards. You also get, can set it up so that you get an alert, an email alert if the project goes over a certain percentage. So I set it up for 70%. So I'll get an email if once we hit 70%. That's awesome. We need to know that like, okay, we need to be really efficient. Another trick that somebody taught me um, a while back was to set an alarm. So if you're the type of designer that maybe gets distracted easily, like I do, if I'm sourcing for like a certain particular piece, I could find myself two hours later looking at thousands of things and you're like, whoa, no, slow it down. Yeah. Set a timer for 20 minutes. If you haven't found it in 20 minutes, go back to the first thing you picked. It's probably the one that you need to be using. But Amen for- to that. That <laughs> is such a great, if you take nothing else from this episode, listen to those words. Cause I'm telling you, if you haven't found it in 20 minutes, it's not there, period. The amount of time that I've looked for something and I've spent, you know, I found some okay options at the beginning and then I spend an hour on it and I end up going back to something I picked within the first 10 minutes. It happens all the time. Yeah. Or, or a lot of times I'll, I'll skip it if I haven't found it in my 20 or 30 minutes, whatever time I've allotted, or I'll pull something that I maybe liked, but I was like, yeah, maybe there's something better. Um, and I'll just stick with it for a little bit and then, um, go on to something else. Because a lot of times as you're looking for that next thing or things, the thing you were looking for ends up showing up to you. (laughs) I totally agree on that, but that's just a good way to keep your time under, you know, in check. Yeah. How, so the, what I also want to add to that is that once you do enough projects and you have that data, it's why it's so important to track your time, to know how long it takes you. Then you can start to estimate future projects more accurately. Um, one of the hesitations, and this goes back to mindset too, Leslie, one of the hesitations that I've had is I know how long it's going to take, but man, if I tell a client it's going to take X number of hours, like they're going to crap their pants. No, like it takes the time that it takes. And, and I, I have just, I have have told myself like, why did you do that again? I'm done doing it. I am like, it is what it is. And, and underestimating is detrimental because clients get an idea that it's going to be 15 hours. And when you take 30, that's twice what they had expected to pay. And you knew the whole time it was probably going to be more than 15. And I'm saying this because I just did this. <laughs> so please don't think that I'm some high and mighty expert who has not made these mistakes. I did this with a current oh, yeah. client, totally. small project, and I underestimated the hours because it was a small project and they're not upset, but there's been discussion about, well, we're a little concerned about how long this is taking and what this is costing now because it's more than we wanted to spend. And I understand that. And right. I think the more honest you can be upfront as to what things really take, you know what, you might scare off a client or two and that's okay. Because if they did sign on with you and they got that bill, it could be much worse. I think it's, it's better to front load expectations mm-hmm. when it comes to our billable time and what it actually takes. And Kate, you mentioned time tracking and sending 
PDF reports of the breakdown, which I think is crucial. Yeah. They want to know how you're spending your time. Because yeah. then it starts to make sense. They're like, well, what, what did you do? You're like, yeah. oh, well, here you go. It's, it's detailed here. Exactly. Um, I have been given the advice too. And I, I've never had to use, actually, I did use this one time. Um, the advice was if a client ever has a question about your hours and how you spent your time, as long as you have that data and that information to show them, it's a very simple, like non-emo, you can take all the emotion out of it give them the report that shows how you spent your time and you say, you know, Mrs. Jones here, here's the detailed report of how, how we spent our time. If there's anything in this uh, time that you think is unnecessary or irrelevant or wasn't necessary to get the job done, let me know. And, and I'll remove those hours. I've actually used that advice and the client was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, Okay, well then the invoices do. <laughs> then then pay the bill, please and thank you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and that was an example of a client who just continued to add things on and it didn't somehow resonate for her that like it's gonna take time and time costs money. And I don't know that I was she didn't give me any clues that she was as budget conscious as she was. She yeah. Anyway. So <laughs> Let's let's talk about time tracking for flat fee and Ooh, yeah. e-design and stuff as well too, because okay. I think it's really tempting to not track your time for those because you're not billing hourly. The clients don't need to know how much time you spend. It's more of a value-based price that you've given them. But if you're not already tracking your time for those, you need to be because you might be charging $5,000 to e-design a space, but if it's taking you a hundred hours, you're not making money. Yeah. And it's really important to know your numbers and know how long projects actually take you, not someone else, but you. Right. Yeah. Um, I have been guilty of that. And the first time I tracked my hours for a flat fee service like e-design, I was shocked. And so I did a combination of things instead of just I raised my rates, number one, um, but I also got more efficient with some of the work that I was doing. So the last one I did, I was precisely on time. Yeah, girl. Not a moment to spare. So data is important. Um, what is okay? So you have staff too. Can we talk yeah. real quickly about how you bill for your staff? So this we talked about last night at Whiskey and Wine, and <laughs> I have gone back and forth from having tiered pricing. So me as the principal designer is A, my design associate is B, my executive coordinator slash admin person is C. So three different rates for three different, three different jobs. And it came to my attention probably about a year ago, another coach I was working with had suggested that I just have one flat rate for the firm. You know, we're not an architecture firm with 50 people where tiered pricing is essential. You know, this is a small business. My hand is in everything. Even though I have two people helping me, I'm overseeing it all. And so her, her argument for that was you're involved with all of it heavily. Your firm should just have one rate across the board. And girl, that sounds real nice and it simplifies things. But I've been feeling the icks about that. It just hasn't sat as well with me. And Kate, you made a great point to me last night about the fact that 
while my team is amazing, they don't have the same expertise. They don't have the same design education. When they're doing sourcing and design work, they're not doing it with my eye and at my efficiency. And so tiered pricing, I am planning to go back to a tiered pricing model where I am at the premier rate as one should be as principal of a design firm. <laughs> yeah. And I and I'm gonna lower the hourly rate for I hate using the word assistant because I mean you and I both know the the wonderful people that help us are so much more than just like brains. You know, letter <laughs> monkeys at a typewriter like oh yeah. Like no, they, no. we can't do this without them. But yeah. I do think lowering their rate would also soften the blows a bit for billables because if all three of us are working on a project at the same time that's insane per hour what we're billing. And it, we, I mean, we're getting three hours of work done, but it just, ah, pricing has been so tricky and I've gone back and forth. And I think it's just kind of trying new things until you do feel like you found a little bit of a sweet spot. And one thing I've heard, Kate, and I think you do kind of the similar thing is that whatever you're paying, and I'm going to use the word assistant again, whatever you're paying an assistant, someone who is not you, who is doing a role in your business to bill them out at three times that rate. So if you have a bookkeeper and you pay them $30, you would bill your clients $90 an hour for them. That seems to be a pretty fair industry standard for design. And you can apply those same numbers if you have a junior designer or an admin person or expediter, whatever it might be. Is that kind of how you do things too? Are you a little bit different, Kate? Yeah, that's exactly how I do it. I don't bill for my bookkeeper. I don't either. Um, I, I just charge for my assistant. Um, but I will say my bookkeeper is not, you know, creating proposals, managing orders. I have someone else for that. My bookkeeper is really reconciling my book. So while they are touching client stuff, it's not like they're spending three, four hours at a time on a specific client project where it's easily tracked and billable. Right. That's what I have my executive coordinator for. So I think in some industries, in some businesses, I should say, there are going to be bookkeepers that should be billable because yeah. of how you've set up your business model. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just charge for my, for my self and my staff. And I, and I think if you have hesitations about, um, marking up your staff, you need to not, <laughs> um, it, it is, it is your business. It is your, it is your reputation. You're the, brains and the creative behind it. You are the one who has set up your LLC or whatever your company may, however it may be structured. You're the one running the website. I mean, there are all of these things that go into running a business and expenses and you're overseeing them and you should 110% be marking up their time. It's not taking advantage of people. This is a business. Um, it, and when, I mean, when I was at Oz, I knew my hourly rate and I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> of what you were billed out as it felt. Yeah. It felt yeah. like, and it, and at Rachel Mass too, it felt like at the time I didn't quite understand why it was so much, but I now as a business owner understand that that is what it takes to run a a business. Yes. Doing, doing this can help you, you know, if, if God forbid you screw something up and you have to pay to fix something like you're profitable and you're making money to be able to cover those expenses and you're the one managing the, the staff and the help. So 
do it. Don't yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had heard about the one rate for the whole company and considered that, but I never quite tried it out. It sounds like you're going back to the tiered rates. So I like the simplicity of one hourly rate because then when I said we have a 20 hour minimum to start, it was really easy math. It's not as easy when I'm working at one rate and my assistant. Oh, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about how you do that. Cause I think yeah. your model is awesome. Well, we talked about this a little bit last night. Um, when I first started hiring and I had all of these tiered rates, I had three cause I had three people working for me. I really struggled with how to write a proposal for a client. Yeah. Because I knew that there was some stuff that I knew I would be doing. There would be some stuff that I knew my other girls would be doing. And then like trying to figure out a percentage of what that hour was and give the client a clear idea of what that would look like. Mm -hmm. um, it was really difficult. And then God forbid you ended up doing something that your assistant was supposed to be doing or should have been doing. Then all of a sudden your client's like, why were you doing this at your rate when your assistant should have been? Doing? It's just messy. So what yeah. I do now, and before we go, I want to make sure to mention my um, template that I have for coming up with estimates. Um, so what was I saying? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, now what I do is I just, I only quote my hourly rate and then, however many hours I expect for it to take. Um, so it's real clear. So if it's, you know, a hundred hours times my rate, they can do the math. And then when Claire does some work for me, um, you know, that goes into that math. So let's just say the budget overall, when you do that math is like $10,000 worth of design services. It doesn't matter how we get there or who did the work. We know that we have $10,000 is our goal for working within. So when you collect that initial retainer for 20 hours, it's actually not necessarily exactly 20 hours. It's $10,000 or whatever the math might be for that. Are you following no, me? No, yeah. No? So let's just say my rate was 150 um, and 20 hours was the minimum. Then I just collect a retainer for $3,000. And you, do you tell the client it's for 20 hours? Do you mention your yes. minimum? Yes. I'm saying- But they could get more than 20 hours from that if you have- Claire doing work. Sorry, this is where I'm getting, I get hung up on these in my own paper. No, so how do you present this well? The, you're getting hung up on the hours when you really should be thinking about the, the dollar budget for the design work. So let's just say there's a budget of $10,000 for the design work. We're only going to take 3000 of that to start. Once we get through that $3,000, then we start adding new fresh billable hours that are so new, so fresh. So, <laughs> um, and again, it doesn't matter how we got to that 3000 or how we got to the 10,000, whatever the ratio of my hours declares, the fact of the matter is we, that is, you know, the, the work that those are the hours. Well, that you've hit the heart of it. The fact of the matter is the clients don't give a rat's butt how many hours you spent. They want to know what it's going to cost them and what the result is they're going to get from it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the, what I would recommend anybody do is I call it a template, but it's, it's really just a simple spreadsheet. And I literally have itemized, itemized every single task that I can expect to do in a project from, you know, after that initial consultation, let's say they say, you know, I 
put together a proposal. I send it to them. I create an invoice. I um, arrange for trade day. I have the trade day and so on all the way through an entire design project to the very end. And I have some basic numbers in there for how long those things take. Um, if it is a more complicated project, I will pull out that spreadsheet and I will do some math. So if there are multiple rooms involved, I will calculate how many hours it will take to do certain things. So to do site measures and photography for a huge project, I know I'm going to need to allocate more hours for that. If it's a one room that I know kind of what I need to budget hour wise for that. Um, I, I also have a column for me and a column for my assistant. So if it's a, so it's like purchasing, for example, I know that those hours are just going to be Claire's. And so when I, I have add up these columns for how many hours for me, how many hours for Claire, I kind of know I have a budget number in mind of what the project's going to take from there. And so you're so organized. I love it. I don't, I don't give, I don't, the client doesn't see that. They don't need to see it. It's way more information. It's room for them to ask questions and nitpick. Like that's not something your client needs to see. Not because you're trying to hide anything. I would show that to them if they knew it existed and wanted to know. But what I tell them is I simply estimate time for your project based on two factors. Number one is your unique project parameters and needs. And number two, past projects that are similar in nature. And historical data. And that's how I get my estimate. That's awesome. And so do that to help you think through, and that'll give you a jaw-droppingly eye-opening <laughs> number that you can work with. And you'll realize like, oh, wow, I'm really not estimating my time well. Once you do that, a lot of that yeah. was my experience. Yep. And that's why tracking is so important because even if you don't estimate well on the front, you can look on the back end and really crunch your numbers, see how long you're spending on each task, each phase, whatever you want to call them in your business, and make sure that you are estimating accurately and in a way that is profitable. Right. I feel like you have something like that that you use too. I have the nerdiest spreadsheet in all the world of spreadsheets, and I literally track every client that I do an initial consultation phone call with. And if that converts to a paying project, um, if it is a paying project, how many hours we estimated, how many hours we spent. Mm -hmm. And this is an interesting one. The potential income, meaning what it could have been had I done it right and what the actual income was. And that Ooh. stings hard to put those numbers in and realize that, you know, say I, I did a flat fee project and I estimated this actually happened to me. I, last year, I did a kitchen project and I did a flat fee, side note, never again. And I think I estimated about 6,500 and there ended up being so much more involved. What I didn't know in the state of Texas was that homeowners that take out a renovation loan, the person, the contractor organizing the work, in this case, me, is involved in the loan process. The hours I spent with their bank, on the phone, with them, I mean, that project should have been billed out for over $13,000 in design fees. And I had charged 6,500 and I we wanted to barf to, and die when I saw yeah. that. <laughs> we talked about that. I remember that scenario. And mm -hmm. I would say to anybody listening, if something like that happens to you, it is, I think hundred percent. Okay. To go back and say, listen, I understand this is a critical part of the construction process for you. This 
the time spent on this wasn't calculated in my estimate to you. So I will need to charge you hourly for the time that we spend doing this extraneous thing. And you know what? At the time, I don't know why I didn't think of that because it was technically outside the scope and it just, you know, it just, I mean, it straight up didn't occur to me slash people pleasing, but I learned a very expensive lesson from that and it will not be happening again. But all that to say, it is humbling and eye-opening to track, to track and just to know what your numbers are and also what they could have been to help motivate you to understand how to charge well and to estimate well for future projects. Yes. Um, before we go, can we just really, cause the others, totally misspelled that. the other thing, the other part of like getting this right is for me at least being efficient. And I think before we go, if we could just talk about a few things that you do, Leslie, to, to run your projects efficiently so that you're not reinventing the wheel every time. Can you name a couple? Cause I know you've got, <laughs> this could yeah. probably be a own episode, but just so a few quick ones. One, one little mantra that has been huge in helping me stay efficient is something that my former coach, Nancy Ganzikoffer taught me. And that is the idea that the work we do, the designs we do aim for fabulous, not perfection. I am a perfectionist. I struggle with that. And, you know, we all want to do our due diligence as designers, as experts, and we want to make sure we've scoured every possible fabric option and every possible headboard frame style. No, go to your go-to vendors that you know and love and trust, pick something fabulous, move the heck on. That has really, really helped me keep things efficient and sort of trust in my abilities to work quickly and go with my intuition. And I think we'll talk about this more in a future episode. I mentioned having a go-to vendors list and that's something that's been really beneficial to have developed over the past few years. So we'll touch more on that another time. Yeah. Another thing I do for efficiency is I have the back end locked the fudge down. I have contracts and templates yeah. and things are organized. And that's actually something I work on with clients when I'm doing coaching with interior designers. That's part of what they get with the kickstart kit with me is all the backend documents they need, which that took lots of dollars and lots of years to develop. But once you get there, it's amazing to know that you've got your ducks in a row. You have all the forms, schedules, charts, paperwork, <laughs> charts. I'm getting so excited. I'm slurring all the paperwork <laughs> you need behind the scenes to really run your business and make sure you are efficient and using your client's money and time well. How about you, girl? Um, so you named one of them was having your go-to vendors. And it is so tempting because I use Lee Industries for all my upholstery. And I just had this itch to go look and see what Kravit had the other day for their upholstery and furnishings, uh, upholstery options. And I spent, like for frames, right, sofas. And I spent 20 minutes, half hour looking, and I didn't find anything that I liked better than I found at Lee. And I was just like, well, that was just a half hour wasted. Um, <laughs> so go to, go to market, find your go-to vendors. Um, yeah. The timer thing is huge for me. Um, I will set a timer, like I mentioned earlier. And at the end of that 20 minutes, I am done. If I need to come back to it, I will. Um, but I hold myself to that. Um, I, again, templates for everything. Canned emails are huge mm -hmm. as well. So I have a document that 
anytime I'm sending a client a proposal or a concept package or an end of week email or any other sort of email series that I know to expect, um, even my business development follow-up emails are all, I have templates for emails and I just insert the necessary documents and make the changes, but I copy paste those. Um, so I'm not having to like reinvent those every time. Um, I feel like this could be a whole new episode in itself, yeah. but hoping that the, the little efficiency tips here are just going to help you be more efficient in your billables is the yeah. goal of today. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think that's it. Is there anything else? Oh, don't ever, don't ever estimate a project based on square footage. No, that mm -mm. that's how the kitchen got me guys. <laughs> that's how I'm going to drop the mic this week. Don't do yeah. it. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Learn from your experience, track your hours, estimate with what you know to work for you and your business. Be upfront with your clients on what it's going to charge, what it's going to cost them, what they're yeah. going to invest to have you make their home totally kick-ass fabulous. Yeah. And know your value. I mean, you have to be able to sell it to them from a place of, of value. You know, what, it, what would it look like for them if they were to try to do this on their own? They're going to make mistakes. They're, they don't have time to do it. They, like, you're worth, you're worth it. You're worth every penny. Mic drop. All right. Have, have a, a great, great weekend. weekend. All yeah, right. See you. See you next Bye. week. Bye. Hey designer, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Designers Getting Coffee.